Welcome to episode 24 of the G2 on 5G. It's the latest inside scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 15 minutes and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend and joining me again this week is my fellow analyst, Anshul Sag. Let's get started with my first topic. Um, I was briefed um, on this announcement that actually broke today. Cisco launched a very disruptive edge-enabled architecture with two partners. And the initial use case is focused on content delivery networks. And for those of you that don't know what CDNs are, those are the networks that power uh, how we watch Netflix, Disney Plus, and, um, and, and many streaming services. So what's really disruptive about this is that they're bringing edge enablement to improve quality of service and performance over what's currently available today, but they're also introducing a revenue share component so that um, operators and service providers can actually take advantage and participate in the monetization. Um, the, what's different today is with services like Akamai, they, they own a lion's share uh, of, the, of the CDN market. And for, for the most part, um, they reap all the reward from a revenue perspective. So, um, you know, CDN is the first application um, there are other applications that are planned and other, and other announcements and partnerships that Cisco plans to announce uh, further down the road at later part of this year and into next year. But it, it gets me thinking, um, when you marry 5G with Edge, you know, it creates a superpower effect. And, you know, obviously 5G delivers uh, extremely low latency for video intensive applications like streaming. But uh, it just kind of gets me thinking, um, when 5G gets married with this, it could be really disruptive. What are your thoughts? Um, you know, <clears throat> I think that um, there's going to be a need for newer, faster, better CDNs mm -hmm. um, because there's going to be more demand for these CDNs to deliver content quickly and on demand uh, in ways that wasn't possible before or and wasn't needed, right? Um, I think video is still going to be a very big use case for 5G, especially early on, um, like, you know, these next six to 12 months. Um, and because of that, I think there's gonna be a very big push to um, get the CDN infrastructure in place to deliver what people are expecting from 5G, was, which is near instantaneous, um, you know, content delivery and playback. Yeah, I mean, it's super frustrating when you get the, you know, the, the buffering and, and that sort of thing. And I. I try to explain it to my girlfriend when we're watching The Mandalorian. By the way, I'm super excited. I know you are as well. I think it's the second season is going to debut in a few weeks here. But um, but yeah, it's going to provide a better quality of service. And you know, and service providers are always focused on you know delivering great experience, right, to reduce churn. And so I know you cover um, AR and VR for the company. Um, and, and, you know, you start thinking about, you know, like you mentioned, you know, video is proliferating, streaming is proliferating, um, you know, we've got, you know, 4K, you know, there'll be 8K, you know, and, and these networks will need to scale to do that. But then I think the opportunity is like, you know, the mixed reality aspect of it as well, right? You know, we saw 3D and I think that was sort of a fad, um, but, you know, I think really AR and VR, especially when you start, you know, integrating that into, experiences like, you know, watching concerts and that sort of thing from home, it can be quite interesting. Yeah, I, I think if you look at something like AR, VR, um, the problem with that today is that almost no AR or VR headsets have 5G built in. Mm -hmm. um, so most of the headsets are gonna be Wi-Fi controlled initially. 
yeah. um, like the Quest 2 is Wi-Fi. Um, but I think long term, uh, a lot of these headsets are going to start attaching to phones, and that's how they're going to get 5G right off the bat. And then long term, they'll start integrating 5G. Um, but right now, yeah, it's still kind of very much a Wi-Fi world in that space. Um, but I don't think that's for very long. Um, and I think part of it is just they're also waiting for the maturity of the networks and the chipsets to meet, um, you know, their expectations and their needs. Um, but overall, yeah, I think CDNs are going to have to change if they're going to want to start to deliver, deliver volumetric content. Um, I've written about some companies that have some very impressive compression algorithms. Um, but even then, you know, they're still in the hundreds of megabytes um, in terms of file size. And, you know, that was for a 30-second clip of myself volumetrically captured, you know, you know, minutes long videos are going to be in the multiple gigabytes, um, which is something that 4G simply can't deliver. Yeah, it's going to be exciting to kind of keep, uh, keep an eye out on that. So let's move to your first topic this week. And I, I did catch the announcement from T-Mobile uh, with respect to, um, they claimed the first with 5G carrier aggregation, but um, you wanted to share some input uh, I believe, you know, that's also associated with LG and Ericsson and MediaTek. Yeah, so uh, this was a joint announcement. Uh, T-Mobile seems to be the one leading a lot of these, you know, new technology uh, announcements. But um, what they did with 5G uh, was to uh, aggregate two different carriers that are not in the same band, mm -hmm. um, which some people are already able to do. Um, but what they did is they actually took uh, carrier aggregation from two totally separate bands, the 600 megahertz that they have at the, the bottom end and 2.5 that they have in the mid band, and they're able to aggregate them together um, using an LG um, 5G phone. Uh, and that 5G phone is running on a MediaTek chipset, um, which is uh, capable of sub six carrier aggregation. Uh, it does not do millimeter wave, um, but it does do sub six, which is currently the majority, the lion's share of what, you know, T-Mobile is rolling out right now. Right. And they did it with Ericsson as the infrastructure um, partner. Um, but the reality is, is that uh, this doesn't just improve speeds, which is, you know, the number one um, expected improvement, right? Because you're, you're aggregating, let's say, best case scenario, 5G at the low band is two to 300 megabits, best case scenario. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're aggregating that with, you know, uh, uh, 2.5 gigahertz, you could be looking at upwards of a gig. And I think that's what they were showing was about a gig per second right. in aggregate, um, which 2.5 is capable of doing on its own. Um, so the speed improvement is not really that big of a deal because, you know, um, low band is kind of, uh, you know, peanuts compared to what mid band can do in terms of bandwidth. The real big deal is actually the fact that aggregating a low band and a mid band together allows you to use um, the low band as your coverage layer. So you're always connected to 5G mm -hmm. and that way you just add that additional carrier on top. So your overall coverage improves while also having access to much faster bandwidth when it's available. And even if it's not a great signal, you can still get pretty good speeds from it because you still have a solid base layer of coverage, which is, you know, kind of, this is a kind of um, a slow realization of T-Mobile's, you know, layer cake strategy. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, the reality is they're going to want, they want to have 600 megahertz everywhere on everything. And then when possible, 2.5 as, 
you know, the broad coverage, but maybe not everywhere. And then millimeter wave in little hot spots where it's needed. So this is, this is kind of a, an evolutionary um, next step in, in T-Mobile's uh, spectrum strategy. Yeah, and uh, I know you've written about carrier aggregation. I have as well. And if our listeners and viewers are interested in learning more about it, um, you can visit our website, moreinsightsstrategy.com. And uh, we're posting um, all of our Forbes contributions out there. So you'll be able to, to search by that and, and, and look it up. So well, let's move to my second topic this week. And I kind of got a chuckle. Um, the United States Postal Service wants to jump into the fray and help deliver national 5G. And so <laughs> my first question was, hey, I hope they don't use their, their mail sorting equipment to do that because I've actually lost, you know, you know things in the past. And, you know, and I, I'm thinking, you know, what, what they're referring to is, you know, they've, you know, they've got, you know, a footprint, right, with, with all of the post offices around the country. And so could those be used to stand up small cells? And, you know, certainly you wouldn't, you wouldn't uh, deploy a full base station on top of a post office. But um, I, I thought it was kind of interesting. I tweeted something out earlier this week, sort of tongue in cheek. I mean, have you followed that? Do you, do you have any thoughts there? I actually was not aware of it until I saw it in your topics. Yeah. Um, but I actually think it's interesting because it's a piece of land that the government already owns. Yeah. Um, and they can pretty much, for the most part, build whatever they want on it. Um, I think what would be interesting is to use it as a potential, you know, hotspot to be able to download content, basically like kind of what libraries have been mm -hmm. um, for people accessing the internet, right? Because libraries were originally for books and now libraries are for internet um, yeah. access. But what if post offices were a way that you, maybe you, if you're in a rural area, you just walk or drive to the post office and that's where they have really fast 5G connectivity and you can download your Netflix, you can download your whatever and quickly yeah. get that content and then go. So it's like a physical place you go to, to access digital content, but do it very quickly. And, um, you know, if you get people on and off quickly, then you won't have people crowding too much. Yeah. And people are well, going there in anyways for regular business. Oh, sure. You know, and it's interesting. I didn't think about that, but the rural, you know, sort of angle might be, might be interesting, right? You know, if you, know, you have post offices everywhere, right? And yeah. most people, um, they're going to go to the post office anyways to pick up packages and stuff like that um, as a natural course of business. Um, I mean, not, not, and I mean, obviously it's not about the, the mail carriers, but I just think that there is a, there is some thought there where maybe you just use those as the, you know, originating point. Yeah. 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 And you could use a combination, you could use fixed wireless access. So yeah, it'd be interesting. So maybe I shouldn't have been so snarky <laughs> in my tweet there, but uh, let's move to your next topic this week. And you want to talk about uh, Google Pixel. Yeah. So this was something that happened uh, a little bit last week, um, but it's still kind of a slow rolling thing because the devices are, are slowly being becoming made available. They'll be in, available, you know, this month. So it makes sense to talk about it. The launch happened last week, but um, basically, you know, Google has two new Pixel phones, the Pixel 4a 5G and the Pixel 5. Um, and, you know, the 4a 5G actually, you know, gives access to, you know, multi-camera array, 5G connectivity, pretty high-end, um, Qualcomm Snapdragon 765 processor, which is a 
um, all, you know, very top of the line, mid-tier chip, um, almost a flagship chip. And um, the interesting part is it's $499 for a 5G phone in the U.S. Wow. Um, from a, you know, arguably tier one brand. Um, so it, it brings accessibility of 5G to a very good point. Um, the one thing that's worth noting is the Verizon version with millimeter wave is an extra $100. So that version is actually $599 instead of um, being $499. And um, the Pixel 5 um, is going to ship for, uh, I believe, $699. So it's still you know, a top-tier phone. It's got a metal case, wireless charging, 5G connectivity, all the cool camera stuff, OLED display, you know, mm -hmm. 90 hertz refresh rate. But it's um, not running a Snapdragon 865 and all these other things, but it does have millimeter wave. Um, and, that's, and that's because the operators uh, in the U.S. are all planning to roll it out eventually, and they, wanna, they want the Google Pixel to have it. So Google built it in. Um, and as a result, it's a, you know, it's a 699 flagship phone, which is a lot cheaper than what other people are offering right now as flagship devices. And, you know, the Pixel camera is great. Um, one really interesting thing is, you know, they're actually, they're actually leveraging 5G software in these phones so that, you know, when you're in a very high speed 5G area um, with millimeter wave or some, you know, enough bandwidth, um, they'll actually preload, pre-cache content that you might have other ha otherwise had to wait on Wi-Fi for as long as you have the right data plan for it. Um, so they're, they're actually integrating 5G into the software, not just saying, you know, it's got 5G enjoy. Um, they're actually, you know, being able to deliver HD quality duo videos and it just, they're, they're just up leveling the experience in a way that makes 5G more meaningful to the consumer. Yeah, you know, and this, you know, we've, we've spoken about this before, you know, Qualcomm supporting a continuum, right, of devices at a continuum of price points. So, exactly. And, and this, is, this is evidence of that. Um, sounds like a great value. You know, I wish I was an Android guy. I'm, I'm an iPhone guy. Um, I know your third topic, you're going to talk about, you know, what's expected, you know, with the big Apple announcement next week. But let, let me jump to my third topic this week before we get into that. Um, Navineer announced this week that they're seeking a, to raise $100 million in an IPO, you know, and I, and I felt the timing was, was probably, you know, perfect given the momentum that's behind OpenRAN, right? You know, so you've got the telecom infra project that's, you know, been doing a lot of work to harmonize, um, you know, sort of this whole notion of open radio access network. And, um, you know, Navineer has clearly been a participant in that space. They're, they're a very software-defined um, solution provider. They provide private networking um, solutions, but they're, they're definitely participating in this Open RAN um, initiative. And, you know, we've spoken about this on prior podcasts as well. The, the advantage there is that it's allowing the U.S. to bring some new entrants into the ecosystem um, that are North America, um, you know, sourced. So, you know, we've, we've, you know, we've, we've worked, we've, you know, and seen the likes of Ericsson and Samsung and Nokia. Um, they are not U.S. companies, although they are very friendly to the U.S. So um, I just felt like, you know, hey, you know, they, they couldn't have picked the, a better time to launch their IPO. I, I don't know if you follow Mavenir, you know, that frequently, but um, I spent time with them. Um, I've been at a few of their analyst conferences. Um, they are they are definitely very aggressive 
they're very confident in their technology and um, you know they're and from my perspective you know I think this IPO should go well for them I'm not that familiar with Mavenir. I know who they are, I know what they do. You know, I understand what their um, business is, but I wouldn't say I'm anywhere near as close as you are to them in yeah. terms of understanding. Um, but that said, like it's, you know, it's, it's interesting because um, Open RAN is, is starting to become more of a reality. Um, and I think a lot of people are starting to realize the value of it, um, especially, you know, within the US. Um, but I think if the U.S. really does start to adopt it, that we'll very likely see um, a pretty big um, momentum shift towards that globally, not just in the U.S. Right. Yeah. You know, and, you know, 5G deployments are already in play, right? So, you know, and I've written a Forbes article on Open RAN. I sort of looked at both sides of the coin. Yes, it can be very CapEx disruptive, but it introduces complexity and in software integration in any set of ecosystem partners that could put pressure on OPEX. And so, you know, I think the jury from my perspective is still out. I think it is very promising. It allows US companies to lean into software development expertise, which uh, has been a hallmark of, um, of the technology industry base in the US. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see. But I, from my perspective, you know, I'm a little bit closer to them. I think the timing's great for them. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, kind of, uh, you know, once things, you know, get, get rolling, how, how well they do with that. So, but let's move to your third and final topic this week and the much and highly anticipated iPhone 12. Yeah, so we've got um, an official date, uh, which I believe is the 13th. Um, Apple has teased their iPhone event will be. Um, that is a few weeks after the originally expected September date. Um, Apple traditionally launches their iPhones in September and they become available at the end of the month or early October. This year was a little weird. There were some delays that caused them to push back the iPhone event. Um, I, you know, they never really explained what those causes were, but it was very likely COVID. Um, uh, but the reality is, is that a few weeks doesn't really make much of a difference to most people. It may impact their sales numbers a little bit. Um, but it, it's, you know, they usually sell out for the, you know, the remainder of the year once they launch their phone. Mm -hmm. Um, and the iPhone 12 is going to be their first 5g phone. And I've actually talked to CNN and kind of gave them my perspective on what I expected, um, the iPhone 12 to have. Um, so the reality is I, I think all iPhones are going to be 5g. Um, I don't think they're going to ship a version of the iPhone that isn't 5g. Mm -hmm. And um, it'll very likely ship with the latest um, discrete modem from Qualcomm, which may actually be the X60. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of up in the air. It's not 100%, um, but it's either going to be an X55 or an X60 modem. Um, and it's, you know, it's going to have all the bells and whistles that a 5G modem should have. Um, and the iPhone 12, I believe, will have... Um, both millimeter wave and non-millimeter wave models. Um, I think you're gonna see millimeter wave very much in the US um, and it will most likely be in the larger variants. So yeah. whatever the iPhone 12 plus will be, um, or max, sorry, mm -hmm. the iPhone 12 max um, will probably get it. Um, it'll probably also be maybe in the pro model. That's just a little bit, you know, the modules on 5G have gotten smaller, so it's doable. 
Um, but I think you're going to see it definitely in the Pro Max, maybe in the Pro. Um, probably not in the base model iPhone 12, but it will do sub six. And I think that's going to be, you know, that, that kind of tiering is kind of what you're seeing from a lot of companies. Um, mm -hmm. I think it'll be very similar to what Samsung did with S20, where the base S20 doesn't have it, the Plus does, and then the Ultra did. So I, I think it's kind of, that's going to be the, the, the spread. Um, I also think they're going to, you know, integrate the LiDAR capabilities that are in the iPad um, and make it more AR friendly. So you can scan things into your environment, but also um, have better low light focus capabilities and um, better environment mapping for AR. So I think they're going to, um, you know, lean a little bit more hard into AR and 5G. Um, I also think the A14s are going to be a very fast chip as always. Uh, I believe it's going to be the first five mount nanometer chip out there in terms of smartphones. So it's going to be very fast. It's going to be very low power and uh, it's going to be their first 5G phone. And I think it's going to really, you know, kick a 5G market into the next gear of momentum. Cause I think, you know, I would say we were in first gear this year. I feel like we're about to shift in the second gear and, and, and iPhone is kind of that the initial, kick in the second gear. Um, so I think we're going to really see a uh, 5G market really kick in the second gear very quickly immediately after the iPhone event as people start to buy iPhones and, you know, the demand for 5G network starts to grow and operators, you know, really start accelerating their, their deployments of um, their 5G networks overall. Because, you know, some of them are still a little bit spotty like Verizon. Um, but I think it's going to be something that really kicks things into the next gear. I'd agree. You know, it's, it's Apple, right. And, you know, sort of in hindsight, you know, they're, they're about a year late to the party relative to Samsung and Huawei and other Android um, platforms. But um, they yeah, kind of have a history of doing it too. They do. Yeah. They were kind of a year late with 4g as well. And that, that was actually what I think kicked Samsung off into what, you know, where they are today. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's interesting. So, you know, I don't think, you know, they're going to lose any momentum. And I, and I totally agree with you. Um, I think people, you know, I have people ask me all the time. It's like, when am I going to see an iPhone with 5G? And so um, I think there's, there's some pent up demand. I think people have been waiting. Maybe they, maybe they skipped a generation on the upgrade um, to wait to get, you know, kind of the full tilt. And based on what you're describing, it sounds very, very compelling with all the different features. So um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what, 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 uh, what we learn next week. So Hey, buddy, another great podcast. Why don't you take us home? Sure. We hope that our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to reach out to us on a potential specific topic uh, around 5G for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Willtown Tech, and I'm at Entrell Sog. We hope you have a great weekend, and please tune in again next time.